welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Welcome back to the Exam Study Expert podcast. We talk a lot on the show about what you should do if you want to save time, learn faster, remember more, get productive, stay motivated and ace your exams and assignments at school and university. All those things you should be doing. But we all know that turning a should into action can be pretty tricky. So this is the second part of a two-part episode that is going to teach you the strategies you need to know if you want to start turning all those things you know you ought to be doing into things that you are doing, not just as a one-off, but consistently. If you missed the first part of this episode, I'd suggest that you head there and have a listen to that one right away, because without it, quite a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about in this episode isn't really going to make a whole lot of sense. (laughs) Uh, That uh, first episode was quite a short one by my standards, sort of only 15 minutes or so. So if you need to go and listen to that, go do it now. As I say, shouldn't take you more than 15 minutes or so. And I'll see you back here in this episode in quarter of an hour. For everyone else, let me give you a lightning recap of what you have hopefully just heard in part one, and then we'll dive right into part two. As you'll hopefully remember, back in that first part, I explained that there were three big drivers that explain pretty well all the actions you take each and every day. Those three factors were your habits and routines, your motivations, or what you consciously decide you want to do, and then what I call your inner caveman which is a a sort of collective term for a little set of instincts that in many cases can be traced right back to your evolutionary ancestors. These instincts were really designed, uh, really evolved to help keep you safe, but in a very different world to the world we face today. So that means they're not all fantastically helpful uh, in the modern world, as we discussed last time. In particular, we said that your inner caveman is lazy, We said that it hates taking risks, and we said that it loves taking quick thrills. And as such, it's often in conflict with your conscious motivations, those things that you have decided you want to do, and therefore it can stop you taking actions on the things you think you really ought to be doing. So here in part two, I'm going to walk you through a set of 10 strategies that are designed to help you become a master of your inner caveman, recruiting him or her as your ally rather than fighting against them all the time. I've grouped these 10 strategies into categories, depending on which of those caveman instincts we're trying to combat. The laziness, the risk-taking, or the love of a quick thrill. And as I hope you'll discover throughout the course of this episode, many of these strategies aren't just individual quick tips. They can actually be put together to work beautifully as a complete system uh, that really helps you bring about the changes in your behaviours that you're aiming for in the most effective and long-lasting way. Ready? Let's do this. I'm going to start with three strategies that are designed to counteract your inner caveman's laziness. 
Strategy number one is being clear on exactly what you're planning to do. Now, one thing to understand about your inner caveman is that they are looking for any excuse for an easy life. So if there's any change you've decided to make in your life, don't give your inner caveman any reasons not to get on board with the new programme. And that starts with being absolutely clear on what that new programme is. And I mean, be really, really specific about this. Uh, Really specific about the actions you're going to take and exactly how you're going to go about taking them. Go beyond the obvious here. So let's take an example. Let's say your new habit is to go running every morning. Well, if you're not running at the moment, then stop and think through all that is going to be required for you to go for that run. What will you be wearing? on your body and on your feet? What time are you going to set the alarm? What route are you going to follow? Is it going to be dark? Will you need a head torch? If you expect to just wake up on day one and trust your motivation and it's going to see you through and you'll figure out all the practicalities in the moment and on the fly, then you are setting yourself up for failure. But if you plan it all out in advance, get everything sorted the night before, then you're setting yourself up for success. It's exactly the same thing uh, if you're trying to adopt a new habit in your studies. Think through all the time, think through all the things you'll need in order to make it happen. What time you'll do it, what materials you'll need, and so on and so forth. And as a quick interjection, if you need some advice on the specifics of what good study technique looks like, I would encourage you to download my exam success cheat sheet. Uh, You can head to examstudyexpert.com forward slash free tips to get your copy. Uh, There you'll be able to download that guide, as I say, absolutely free. Uh, It's a PDF which summarises some of my all-time best recommendations for study techniques that help you to work smarter, not harder, and get you bigger results in faster time. Again, you can pick up a copy of that cheat sheet at examstudyexpert.com forward slash free tips. F-R-E-E-T-I-P-S. Now, back to this idea of planning ahead. If you're doing flashcards, which is one of the recommendations that comes out of my study cheat sheet, if you're trying to learn information quickly, you will need some sort of cards to work with, either digital or physical. You might also want to dig out your exam syllabus and have a copy printed out for you by your desk. Do you have a way to stay hydrated if you're working in a library, for example? Perhaps you might need a water bottle you can take in. Or if you're not in a library, uh, are there any particular books, textbooks you might need access to? In which case, go, out, go ahead and borrow or buy those before you start work. You get the idea. Any of these little practical elements that you'll need in place in order to make your plan work, sort them all out well in advance. And by the way, this process of Gathering your stuff, getting the practicalities sorted out, is a great way to transition yourself into a new study routine. Sometimes the idea of sitting down and doing a a day's hard work can be quite daunting, but the idea of spending some time sorting out the practicalities is a bit easier. None of it takes a huge amount of cognitive effort. Uh, It's not too taxing on the brain, so it's a nice way to feel like you've taken a first step uh, towards the new you that you envisage without really having to summon up too much willpower. It's a nice transition. Okay, so strategy number two is to make it easy and to make it obvious. So we've dealt with all the practicalities. Now I want to think about removing any friction to getting you to follow through on your plan. 
Let me give you some examples of what I mean by this. Uh, again, to get back to my example of you wanting to start running, this might be leaving all your running gear out nice and neat uh, on your, but you know, beside your bed. So when you get up, you it's all there to hand. You slip it straight on, and you're ready to get out the door. If you're wanting to get some studying done in the morning, this could mean leaving your book open at the right page. You'd be shocked how that little action can just help you slip straight into work mode. It may not seem like much effort to open the book and find the right page, but actually an open book is a much more inviting thing to engage with than a closed book. It's really strange, but it does work, I promise you. Another nice little example of this uh, comes from come from my life. I've got a friend who wanted to spend more time learning the guitar. Uh, her guitar is currently out of its case, propped up on a stand in the hallway, making it super easy to p- just pick it up and start playing it instantly uh, whenever she's moving around uh, from from one task to another about about the house. The flip side of making your uh, th- making the thing you want to engage with nice and obvious in your life is making anything that might distract you not obvious. In other words, hide away, out of sight, anything that might be a source of distraction and get in the way of you executing on your new plan. I've talked before about the importance of just turning your phone off and putting it well out of sight when you're working. Same if you happen to have a games console in the house. You don't need to throw it out, but at least think about unplugging it and putting it away in a cupboard when you're not using it. You'll be surprised how much less tempting distractions become when they're put away out of sight, when there's just a little extra effort needed to find them. Again, uh, an example that's very close to home for me, put chocolate out on a table in my house and you'll be lucky if it lasts a day. Uh, But put it away in a cupboard and it might well last the week, particularly if it's a high cupboard and I can't see it when I'm looking for most things I would normally want to find in the cupboard. Out of sight really is out of mind when it comes to the things that you don't want to be distracted by. So put those things out of sight, and when it comes to your study stuff, keep that in sight and in mind. One small caveat uh, is that you might not necessarily want your study stuff in mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You may well need to do some compartmentalising in order to have some downtime throughout the week. I talked about this a few episodes ago in uh, Take a Break, um, an episode about taking a break. Uh, so there may be some times of the day or week when you're not engaged in your studies. So you can have your mu- so you can allow your mind that chance it needs uh, to rest and recharge. Strategy number three is starting small. So we've so far talked about the importance of getting the practicality sorted out. We've talked about the importance of uh, making the new habit physically obvious in your life, in sight and in mind. Uh, Now I want to talk about overcoming any remaining resistance you may be feeling uh, to that idea of starting out on that new habit. If you're thinking about it, thinking about what you're planning for the next day and you're feeling some resistance towards it, it's feeling daunting or overwhelming, my advice would be to try starting small. For example, if it's time to start studying or revising for a major set of exams, but you can't just summon up the willpower just yet to work for the hours on end you think you'll need to each day, then try starting small. Now, there's two little variants on starting small, and I'm going to talk to you about both. They are the just five minutes trick and the Virginia Valiant approach. 
The just five minutes trick is really handy when you're, as I say, just feeling a little bit of resistance to starting to work, perhaps on the day itself. And you feel like there's no really good reason you shouldn't be just getting on and getting into some work. You're just being a little bit lazy about it. You know the feeling. So the just five minutes trick works by you setting a timer for five minutes of work, after which you really are allowed to stop. It's just five minutes. That's all we're asking. Now, the chances are that it's the idea of doing, say, an hour's work that's far worse than the reality. And once you've started, once you've got your books out and you've done five minutes of this already, it's going to feel much easier to carry on for another 55 minutes and you might get a whole hour's worth of study session in after all. As I say, it's often the hour, the idea of starting that hour that's far more off-putting to your lazy inner caveman than the reality of doing that hour once you get started with it. So try just getting started. Try just getting into that first five minutes uh, and then watch as the resistance to carrying on melts away. Now, you might be thinking, well, that sounds all very well, but I'm facing a much more deep-seated aversion to working. The idea of doing a whole hour just seems the most awful thing in the world. And I don't see how even with the five minutes trick, I could ever cope and manage that. If that's sort of sounding familiar for you, then you may need something a little bit more drastic. That's the Virginia Valiant approach, which I've named after the famous academic uh, who wrote about her, as she called it, work problem, uh, and inspired this approach that I'm going to talk to you about now. So Virginia was a very high ability student, went on to be a very respected academic, uh, but she had, uh, to use her words, a pretty serious work problem. In other words, she'd got literally no work done for weeks, maybe months on end, and the thought of starting to get into her studies again was filling her with horror. She knew she needed to start making progress, but she absolutely could not face it. The way she resolved this problem was by asking herself, what daily target would I be comfortable about setting? For her, even just a couple of hours a day seemed completely daunting and off-putting. No way. So let's make the daily target smaller. What about half an hour? Okay, that's better, but she was still feeling a lot of resistance to that idea. All right, well, what about just 15 minutes? 15 minutes a day? To her, that felt okay. Let's try it. And she did. So, for weeks on end, just 15 minutes per day was her target. And she stuck to it. It may not sound like much, but it's amazing what you can accomplish with a quality 15-minute session day after day. And you know what? It's far better to do that for three weeks than to do nothing for three weeks. Eventually, she felt her stamina and her resilience improving, and she's able to stretch that 15 minutes to 20, to half an hour, and eventually to several hours, back up to something that might resemble more like a full working day in academia. So if you're stuck in a complete rut with your work, or your exercise routine, or whatever domain of your life, or you're feeling massive resistance to improvement or change try start by asking yourself the question, like Virginia Valiant did, what small amount of action every day could I set myself that feels completely comfortable and safe and doable? Decide what that is for you, start there and build up. So with the help of these first three strategies, you should already be starting to overcome the laziness of your inner caveman. 
The next set of strategies I've got for you will help you get around your inner caveman's preference for avoiding risks. And that includes the very painful idea of risking social embarrassment and therefore being cast out and thrown out of your tribe, uh, as, as we talked about last time. So strategy number four is to set process goals and focus your energy on these. Your inner caveman hates the idea of setting yourself up for a goal that feels unattainable. No one likes to feel a failure, even if the only person that knows about that failure is you. So I absolutely do recommend sort of having an overall goal in mind for the outcome of your studies, the kind of high level outcome you want from your course whatever the grades are at the end or the degree class or or whatever, having that as a kind of north star to make sure you're always steering in the right direction. But day in, day out, I don't really recommend spending too much time dwelling constantly on this high-level goal. There's no need to be constantly staring at that star and worrying if you're making progress towards it fast enough. Instead, what I'd recommend is setting a very clear process goal each and every day. And that's a target for what actions you're going to be taking on a regular basis. Virginia Valiant's 15 minutes a day was a very clear process goal. Just to explain what I mean by a process goal and to how that, and to talk to how that's different to an outcome goal, a process goal would be to work for two hours or to run for 30 minutes. An outcome goal, on the other hand, would be based on the outcome of the task, so the results you get at the end, perhaps finishing reading chapter two, or completing writing 5,000 words, or running a personal best on the racetrack. In other words, the difference is down to the process goal being about the journey, the process by which you get there. The outcome is got, The outcome goal is all about the destination you reach. And the nice thing about a process goal, and the reason I recommend pouring your daily energies and focus into achieving a process goal, is that they are completely predictable and completely within your control. That means that day after day, you can succeed in hitting your goals and over time start to feel better and better about yourself and your abilities to execute on your goals. You do need to choose a target that's realistic given your situation, though. So I recommend being quite conservative in what you think you'll be able to achieve at first. Don't say you're going to study for 10 hours a day and then in reality only be able to do five or six. Start conservative and then scale up over time as you're able to. And again, it doesn't get much more conservative than the Virginia Valiant approach. So really don't be afraid to set very modest goals to start with. I'd far rather you set a really modest goal and achieved it consistently than try to stretch yourself too far, end up failing, feeling demoralised and demotivated and getting off track. Start small and build up. Be realistic in your target setting and then put all your energies into focusing on what the things you can control, trusting that process achieving that process goal every day, and then trusting that the outcomes you want will follow from that. Strategy number five is about fitting in. Now, as I said last time, your inner caveman is a deeply social creature. It's very risk averse, and one of the risks it hates most is the risk of being cast out and isolated. Uh, from the tribe or from the herd. 
any kind of social embarrassment, therefore, is an abhorrence uh, to a very tribe-centred, very herd-centred instinct. We're all a little bit different in this respect. Some people will crave that social acceptance more than others, but it's true to some extent for, for pretty much everyone. So what I'd suggest here in this strategy is instead of fighting this fact of life, let's recruit it as an ally and work with it. So the idea here is to find yourself a herd that is doing the thing that you want to do. In other words, find an environment where the idea of fitting in means you have to get on and accomplish the goals you're setting. So, for example, if your goal is about getting more studying done, find an environment where everybody else is studying and therefore fitting in means getting your head down and getting on with your studies. Where might you find such a herd? Well, one idea is that a library uh, or perhaps a silent study room if your school or college has one. You're basically looking for a room that's got other people working studiously in it. You don't even need to know the other people for your herd instincts to start to kick in and for you to feel that kind of social pressure to look as if you're working. Once you feel that, you know you've found the right place. You can even head onto YouTube and find study with me videos, which are uh, just videos of people doing some studying. Some people find those very helpful to put on in the background while they're studying because it gives them that kind of shared feeling that they're studying together, creates that environment where fitting in means getting on with your studies. Now, a slight variant on this strategy is to see if you can find a friend who's on the same kind of journey as you and hold each other accountable. Agree to debrief with each other either every day or every week on how you're doing with adopting your new habits. Again, your need to impress others and to be accepted by other people will kick in. You're going to want to have positive news to report to your accountability friend, and you'll want to avoid embarrassment by admitting to your friend that you failed in whatever goals you set for yourself. This principle can be a very powerful one and underlies the huge effectiveness of many group classes to change behaviours, such as support groups that help people quit smoking or lose weight. So, to sum up, find ways to make studying a part of fitting in, and your caveman will become a powerful ally in helping you achieve your work goals. Strategy number six uh, is look out for limiting beliefs. So in my work uh, one-on-one with students as as an exam success coach, I've come across many people's inner cavemen. And one of the peskiest things we come up against is that these inner cavemen these inner cavemen are often great storytellers, but quite often their stories are neither accurate nor helpful. So as modern humans, we're subjected to a constant babble from our inner cavemen telling us stories about, for example, what we can and can't do, what we are and are not capable of. This is problematic because to achieve success, we need to get past these limiting beliefs. Let's take one of the most common limiting beliefs, the idea that we're not good enough, uh, the idea that we're not good enough to achieve something or that our level of talent in a given area is fixed and there's nothing we can do to improve it. I'm not good at maths. I'm not good enough to be on this course. I don't have a good memory. I'm not smart enough to get good grades. There's good evidence that if we simply accept these kind of limiting beliefs, 
then we're not going to be able to achieve our potential in life. The good news is these beliefs are provably wrong. (laughs) Your levels of ability in a given field are not fixed forever. You can improve. The science on this is fascinating. There's a growing body of evidence that your brain can literally grow and change at the very level of your neurological wiring. In other words, the neurons in your brain will literally wire up differently as your brain levels up while you practice and gain skill in a particular area. A couple of examples of this. When squirrels hide nuts, literally hundreds of them, all over the forest uh, to store food for the long winter, then the memory bits of their brain literally grow. The same thing happens when wannabe taxi drivers in London City swat up for this fiendish exam they must sit in order to get their taxi licence, which tests their knowledge of London's extensive rambling and crazy road network. Scientists scanned drivers' brains before and after they studied for this geography exam and found, fascinatingly, that the little bit of the brain that deals with map knowledge and navigation had literally grown a little bit bigger as a result of the studying. How cool is that? So what I want you to take from this is a couple of things. The idea that uh, when you're finding things challenging, finding your ability levels are being stretched lean into that feeling because that feeling you can think of it as the feeling of your brain growing bigger and stronger and fitter in exactly the same way that finding a workout challenging is the feeling of your body growing stronger and fitter as i tell my students feel the burn when you learn over time you'll be able to grow your skill level in whatever area you're working on. And the other thing is that if you do find yourself thinking any of those uh, limiting beliefs I quoted earlier, for example, I'm not good at maths, try and correct yourself. Instead of I'm not good at maths, add the word yet. So I'm not good at math or maths, depending on whether you're in America or, or, or the UK. I'm not good at maths yet. And that word yet is a constant reminder that while the current reality isn't quite as good as you'd like it to be, by working on it in the right way, you'll be able to change that. It's an idea called growth mindset, and it's very powerful stuff. Strategy number seven is to build on the bright spots. So sticking with this idea of the sort of stories we tell ourselves, uh, I want to tell you about the work of a chap called Dr. Timothy Wilson. Uh, He's one of the world's leading authorities on changing behaviour. And his book, Redirect, is one of my all-time top recommendations of books for students or educators. Uh, Because in it, he talks all about the stories you tell yourself and how they can have such a powerful impact on your behaviour. And how by going about changing these stories that you tell yourself, you can in turn go about changing your behaviour. It's really, really interesting uh, and really practical advice. So we've already met some examples of these stories uh, when I was talking about limiting beliefs in the previous strategy. I'm not bad. I'm I'm bad at maths. I'm not smart enough and and so forth. Dr. Tim Wilson has a couple more tricks up his sleeve to help you change the stories you tell yourself and as a result to change your life for the better. 
uh, by happy coincidence. He's actually going to be here in person with us on the show next week to talk to us about that toolbox of strategies to help you master your mindset and change the stories that you tell yourself. But I'll give you a little taster right now in the form of his bright spots technique. So the bright spots technique means looking for examples of places or circumstances where you're not quite as bad as normal. If you struggle in maths, say, is there a particular topic that you actually did all right on? If you struggle at school generally, was there a teacher that you actually flourish with? Was there a time generally when you showed a little bit more promise uh, than was normally the case? Start by nurturing these bright spots as proof that better things are possible, that you're capable of it, and just take courage and confidence from their pure existence. And then go a step further. Ask yourself what it was about these examples that made them different and made them stand out. Were the particular things that you did at the time that helped? Were the particular circumstances that were to your advantage? And could you look for opportunities to do more of the things that helped or create more of the circumstances that were beneficial in future? In other words, see if you can learn from the bright spots and spread their light wider and wider through your life. So let's take stock. By now, we've got over your inner caveman's laziness. That was our first three strategies. We've convinced him or her that change isn't so risky after all. Uh, That was strategies four through seven. Uh, And now all we need to do is solve the problem of your caveman wanting its quick thrills. And these are going to be our final three strategies today. Number eight is the promise of reward and the threat of punishment. An easy way to give your caveman his or her quick thrill is to manufacture a quick thrill as a reward for good behaviour. Much as you might toss your dog a doggy treat when it's obeyed a command to sit in training, you might give your inner caveman some kind of tangible reward to basically say good job when you follow through on your intentions. Food is a really easy example of a reward for good behaviour. I always remember my high school biology teacher telling us that he used to polish off a whole packet of chocolate digestive biscuits on the one night of the year he blitzmarked all of the uh, summer exam scripts. Of course, the flip side of craving quick thrills is a stronger version to suffering any kind of punishment. Uh, Punishments is psychologist's term for any outcome which is unpleasant for us in some way. For example, losing money. If we want to recruit punishments to help us keep our inner caveman in line, then there are plenty of apps that will help. Beeminder is one good example. The app is totally free to use as long as you're on track, and it'll even send you nice little well-done messages, which are a form of reward. But if you go off the rails you'll literally have to pay for failing to hit your goals. In a similar vein, I've even known a PhD candidate set up a contract with a friend. For every month he fails to stick to his word count, he'll owe $200. Ouch. You could even combine uh, these kinds of punishment strategies with your inner caveman's fear of social embarrassment. In other words, don't set yourself a monetary punishment. Make the punishment social embarrassment if you fail to hit your goals like announcing to your friends on social media of uh, that that if you miss your that you've missed your writing target one day hopefully that 
will have a nice little extra benefit in a positive feedback loop as your hopefully supportive friendship group uh, encourages you to, to get back on track with your work the next day. One word of caution on rewards and punishments uh, before I leave the topic. Uh, and it's not just uh, not to eat too many chocolate biscuits. Um, whether you're promising a good outcome to your inner caveman or threatening him or her with a bad outcome, just beware of making the incentive too strong. Because if you use too strong an incentive, there's a risk that you start to erode any kind of intrinsic interest you have in following through on your new habit. In other words, your brain thinks that the only reason you're studying is to get the reward or avoid the punishment. And over time, you actually become less interested in your studies than you were before you started subjecting yourself to uh, the idea of a reward if you succeed or a punishment if you fail. So my advice here would be to try and use the lightest possible prize or threat that still gets you to take the action you want. And ideally, to limit the role of punishments and rewards as just a bit of a kick to get you started. Uh, and then ideally transition to something else to help you stay on track over the long term. Strategy nine could be one idea. Uh, strategy nine is take, making long-term goals into short-term actions. So if you were with us uh, a couple of weeks ago for that episode on eating the frog with productivity legend Brian Tracy, you'll have heard him talk about the buzz you get when you complete a task. As Brian explained, that's one of the reasons we put off working on our biggest tasks, you know, that giant project or assignment or dissertation. We know that a few hours work on it isn't going to make much progress, much dent into the overall job. So that causes us to delay starting in earnest until it's quite late in the day when you end up panicking and having to finish it all in a big time-pressured ball of stress. No one wants that. So the strategy to counter that is to break the big task up into lots of little subtasks. Sure, you're not going to get the whole assignment completed today, but you can certainly tick off some of the little subtasks, perhaps some of the papers you need to read in order to write the dissertation. Anything that gives you a feeling of progress, of completing some elements of a project, is going to motivate you to carry on working on the project. Or for projects where the daily tasks are very repetitive, you might want to consider tracking your actions on a wall chart. For example, try putting up a simple tick sheet uh, on each day of the calendar when you fulfil a habit that you set out to achieve, whether that's going for a run or spending 10 minutes reading ahead for your classes the next day. Whatever habit you've decided you want to get into every day, have a tick sheet on the wall uh, and watch as that little streak of days on which you succeeded in your new habit builds up. It's surprisingly satisfying to see that streak of days growing, a sort of visual proof up on the wall that you've now accomplished the action you intended to take for three days running or 10 days running or 45 days running. And you better do it again tomorrow because you don't want to break that streak. Um, this is, so this is another nice way in which you can help make those long-term goals into very short-term actions that you want to complete today. And speaking of tomorrow, that brings us to nicely my 10th and final strategy, which is connecting to your future self. Research suggests it's possible to reprogram your brain to value your future self more than it does currently. Uh, and that's at least temporary. Uh, and that might be all it takes to 
improve your study habits and help get yourself into a new way of working for good. So make your future self feel closer, connect to that future self. Uh, And you may just find that helps overcome some of your inner caveman's uh, love of a quick thrill in the moment uh, by resetting the balance and making preparing for the future more of a priority in the present. Let me help you understand what I mean by this with a couple of concrete examples on how you might actually do this in practice. Idea number one is to hang out with your future self on Aging Booth, which is a little app that transforms a picture of your face into what you'll look like decades in the future. I've even known people to get their Aging Booth photo framed and hung on the wall, a kind of constant reminder of your very distant future uh, and what you'll be uh, and, and and the sorts of fruits of what you might be able to enjoy years down the line of all your labours today. Uh, the second idea I've got for you is using a tool called futureme.org to send an email to your future self. So here you write a letter to yourself that's going to be delivered at a time in the future of your choosing. So, dear me, I hope you're happy with the results I'm currently working so hard for you to enjoy. Uh, and you might carry on. Uh, and that email will literally be delivered to yourself in a month's time or six months time or 12 months time or whatever time you set. And the benefit isn't so much about receiving the email so much as sending it and thinking of that link between yourself in the future and yourself in the present. And then that motivates you to help make your life for your future self as easy as possible uh, by behaving well in the present. Both of these strategies, agingbooth and futureme.org, will help bring that perception of that future self a little closer and perhaps just help and give your inner caveman a little bit of extra motivation uh, to make sure that it sees preparing for the future as a thrilling and exciting thing to do uh, in the present. As a quick aside, I see you're listening to this from the future. Perhaps you could tell me what it's like. And with that, that brings me to the end of the 10 strategies. I'll recap them for you in just a second. But first, I want to give you a a little invitation. If you're studying for exams at school, university, college, or perhaps professional exams in the workplace to, to further your career, then I hope you're finding lots of useful advice and information from me and my guests in this podcast uh, and the blog of the same name at examstudyexpert.com. I put a lot of energy into creating these free resources for you, and I know there are literally hundreds of thousands of students who've used them to get an advantage in their exams. And sometimes I hear from them uh, telling me how helpful uh, some of the advice has been, uh, and, I'm, and I'm hugely grateful and honoured to, to be a part of that success. As I explained way back at the start of this episode, there are several challenges when it comes to studying smarter and acing your exams. One challenge is actually changing your behaviour and sticking to the plan. Another challenge is simply knowing what the right, most effective things to do are. What should you be doing? The answer to that isn't necessarily trivial, uh, particularly when given that everybody has unique skills and strengths and preferences, and lots of you will have very different sorts of courses demanding very different sorts of responses. I firmly believe that the best and fastest way to solve both of these challenges is to work together with me one-on-one and let me help you shortcut uh, your way to top grades and the exam outcomes you're looking for uh, with my exam success coaching programme.
You can work with me for as little as a single one-off session if you're looking to rapidly fine-tune quite a specific aspect of your study habits or exam technique. Or you might want to invest in maximising your success and minimising those stress levels with more of a long-term coaching programme. With me as your coach, by your side, throughout exam season, or even throughout your whole course. To read more about how I work, head to examstudyexpert.com forward slash coaching, where you can also read plenty of success stories from previous clients. If you want to have a chat about how I might be able to help you with your specific study and exam challenges, you can book your first half hour with me absolutely free, no strings attached. Uh, Again, for details uh, and to get some time together in the diary, head on over to examstudyexpert.com forward slash coaching. I'll be standing by and ready to help you study smarter and ace those exams this year. And with that, let me just briefly recap on the 10 strategies we talked about today. We said, make sure you're clear on exactly what the plan is going to be. Make sure it's easy and obvious uh, to take action on it. Perhaps start small, either through the just five minutes trick or through the Virginia Valiant approach. Consider setting process goals rather than outcome goals. Work on fitting in, for example, working in a library. Look for limiting beliefs uh, and use the strategies we talked about to move past them. Identify any bright spots, as Dr. Tim Wilson says, and look for ways to build on them and learn from them. Use the promise of reward or the threat of punishment, but with caution. Consider ways to make long-term goals into short-term actions, for example, through a daily tracker or tick sheet on the wall. And finally, perhaps even think about some innovative ways to try and feel closer to your future self. It's been such a pleasure, as always, to have your pod- have your company on the podcast here today. And I look forward to seeing you next time for that very special conversation with the incredible Dr. Timothy Wilson. I'm super excited to share that with you. Uh, For now, good luck making the changes you want to make in your life this year, no matter what adversities the world throws at us. And remember, it's examstudyexpert.com forward slash coaching if you'd like to invest in some one-on-one help to help you go further and faster. For now, study smart, stay safe, and thanks for listening today. Wasn't that wonderful? If you're feeling inspired... Why not leave us a rating and a review in your podcast app? It would make our day. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.